human potential and what blocks it and what can we do to uh, maybe get ourselves unstuck or unblocked. So we've been talking about uh, consciousness. We've been talking about uh, uh, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the superconscious mind. Uh, some of the older writers, when they refer to the conscious mind, they call it self-consciousness. So you can think about uh, your conscious mind as being your self-conscious uh, awareness. And then the subconscious would be then everything that is outside of your awareness about yourself. And um, one of the ancient maxims, I guess I'll start with this, pretty well known. It was over the uh, temple of Apollo in the ancient world where they would go to see the oracle at Delphi, the priestess who uh, supposedly would become possessed with the deity and uh, be able to make oracles and do divination and predictions and things like that. And there were three maxims over the door to the temple, but they were ancient maxims. Socrates writes about them, Plato writes about them. Uh, and the first one of the ancient maxims is know thyself, know thyself. And that's kind of uh, picked up a little bit in popular culture, this whole idea. And I think it's so very, very important. And I want to talk about what that means, why it's important and what prevents us from knowing um, ourselves? One of the things that I've discovered about our culture is that we really want to be on the fast track to everything. I don't know if it's being in a fast food society, microwave society, Google society, where if you want to know something, you know, it used to be if you want to know about something, you, you'd look it up in an encyclopedia set, and then you'd have to go to the library, and it would take a lot of... Uh, time and effort to educate yourself on certain things. Now, with, you know, smartphones and devices and Google, you can, you have information, knowledge literally at your fingertips. And so we're used to getting things really, really quickly, whether it's food, whether it's information. And in spiritual development and awakening and these kinds of things, we want oftentimes instant gratification, right? We want to be able to give me the steps to get me from A to Z in a hurry while I'm skipping over all the other parts. And so one of the things that I began to notice, and this was true for myself too, so I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm just making an observation after 30 years because being part of the charismatic church, I was very much engaged with spiritual gifts, uh, taught people, did seminars um, locally, did seminars translocally, meaning in other cities and other churches and other places, where I taught people how to tap into the superconscious, the, the mind of God, the mind of the spirit, in order to produce uh, what we would call supernatural phenomena. I remember being in another country, and uh, I was just at a season that I was really operating uh, profoundly in prophetic gifts, words of knowledge, power gifts, things like that. And I remember uh, the leaders, the pastors coming up to me after some of the meetings, one of the real key leaders coming and saying, you know, you really need to write a book to teach people how to do this. And the more I got around, I, I always wanted to get around gifted people, people that could really manifest the goods, not just talk about it, but really do the stuff. And I would look forward to having the opportunity to sit down with them and ask them questions. How does this gift operate through you? What do you do inside your mind? What do you do inside yourself? What what are the keys? And that's how I would learn. I would learn from other people. And then I would take what they would say and I would apply it 
to myself, and sometimes I would get results, sometimes I wouldn't get results. But one of the things I noticed was that there was a consistent theme with the people that I knew who were able to tap into the deeper levels of the supernatural and manifest it and would do that kind of stuff publicly and in their ministries and even build a ministry off of that. I can, I, I really can hardly think of an exception to this that there were people who could get words for other people, get answers to prayer for other people, get miracles for other people, get healing, produce all kinds of fruit and results for other people in their ministries, but their own personal lives were either kind of a wreck or were missing something. I I can't tell you how many of them would come to me and confide in me uh, that, you know, I can pray for other people and get answers, but I can't get answers for myself. I can pray for other people and they get healed, but I can't get healing for myself. I can get direction and prophetic words for other people, but I have a hard time figuring out what direction or what God's will or calling is for me. And most of them lived at some level of frustration. Some of them lived with extreme anxiety and panic. Some of them lived with depression. Uh, some of them had eating disorders. Almost all of them, without exception, were lacking a quality of vitality and life and joy and peace in their own personal life. And I know for myself, that was certainly true, although I was good at uh, denying it. Um, and I would still work on myself. You know, I, I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of insecurity, a lot of self-doubt that would not show up publicly when I was ministering. Uh, it was not part of the image that I would project, but secretly, you know, I was battling these things in my life. And I would keep working on them, keep working on them. And not finding results. So the same sort of dynamic that was happening with other gifted people was also happening with me. And finally, um, you know, about, I want to say, five or six years ago, a lot of that stuff, I just quit operating in that stuff. And I quit working with that stuff. And my personal journey has been this whole quest of the ancient maxim of know thyself, because I think we skip that step. I think that's why people can be in such a hurry to market, put on display, or use their spiritual gifts, and I'm putting those in quotes on purpose, you'll understand why in a few minutes, but use those things while bypassing this important step of knowing yourself and end up in that place of frustration and difficulty. So my whole point to this is, if we try to skip over the self-conscious, subconscious connection and links and part of ourselves, because we're in such a hurry to get into the superconscious, we're in such a hurry to know God and to know things and to know the path, more often than not, I'm going to bet based on my personal experience and talking to other people, you're going to end up in a frustrated place and in a very empty place, a very disconnected place, and potentially in sort of a train wreck. And so that's one of the reasons that we see really powerful people publicly in ministry, at least. And I'm sure the same thing's true. I don't know as many people that are uh, psychics or, you know, work in other traditions I know a few, but I don't have as much experience with them. But I imagine the same thing's true because we skip this step of knowing thy 
self. And to be honest with you, in order to unlock the full potential of who we are, in order to have a satisfying life, we really have to get to know ourselves. And I think that's where, I know that's where I'm at. And so I think that's where a lot of people are at as well in this space of wanting to really get to know themselves and waking up from what uh, Dr. Charles Tart, who uh, is one of the early pioneers in the study of consciousness, what Dr. Charles Tart calls the group consensus trance. And I'll talk about that stuff in a minute. <clears throat> so one, one of the other things that, that I get told a lot is that I spend so much time with deconstruction that people don't know where to go. And by deconstruction, I mean peeling away beliefs, um, questioning what we believe, how do you know what you know, uh, presenting people who maybe have only heard one side of the story with another side of the story, which creates that cognitive dissonance, which creates a crisis. And pretty soon, you know, it's like if, if you think about it like a house of cards, you kind of tap on one card and pull that out pretty soon the whole house crumbles and the only thing you're left with is a bunch of cards, right? And you're like, okay, now how do we reconstruct? How do we put things together? But the truth is, in order to get to know yourself, I'm convinced, there is a lot of unlearning. And again, to quote uh, Dr. Tart, there is a lot of having to wake up from the consensus trances. And so what I want to attempt to do today is talk about what we might call psychic phenomenon, what we might call spiritual gifting, how it operates, how it works with the self-conscious, the subconscious, and the superconscious, and what can we do about it. And so to do that, though, it requires <laughs> some unlearning or maybe some learning about who we are, how we're built, and how we operate. And so I want to invite you as we do this together today or in this live video to kind of think about some of these things and ask yourself the question, how well do you know yourself? How well, how much time do you spend getting to know yourself? And just some general things about humanity. Um, I'm trying to think, I got so many thoughts, I'm trying to think how to put it together best. Let's start with this. Let's just start with how everyday waking consciousness or self-consciousness works. So neuroscientists tell us that at any given moment in time that we are bombarded with about 200 million pieces of information that are bombarding our five physical senses from the outside world. So all that information includes everything within your field of vision, uh, all the light that's coming in, everything that uh, is coming into the body in terms of touch, sensation, tastes, sounds, smells, all that sensory input, if you could be aware of it all, it would be completely overwhelming because they tell us there's about 200 million pieces that are coming. And the self-conscious mind or the conscious mind can only focus on between five to nine parts of information at one time. Now, I want you to think about that. What's happening in your brain is that your brain is filtering out what is that? Uh, 299, or I'm sorry, 199,999,995 pieces of reality 
and you and I are existing somewhere in between five and nine pieces of that, information is allowed to come in. And then what happens is, is that your brain gives you or feeds to you its own composite picture or its own model of what's going on around you, its own model of reality, by deleting a ton of information that's coming to you from the outside world, by generalizing a ton of information that's coming to you from the outside world, and by distorting information that's coming to you. One of the coolest things, it's hard to do now and you can't do it on live at all, but uh, if you were to go onto YouTube, and you've heard me talk about this before, you could Google, type in the invisible gorilla, and they have several videos that allow you to see this process of how the mind can de completely delete, uh, generalize, and distort in your physical senses. So here's the point I'm trying to make. What you and I are seeing, what you and I are hearing, what you and I consider to be the physical world or the real world is not reality as it exists. We live inside the mental projection that our brain gives us. Uh, if you want to understand more about this, you can look at Gestalt psychology, separate from Gestalt counseling. Um, but Gestalt psychology talks about how your brain takes this sensory input and sorts through it in order to edit, in order to delete, in order to generalize, in order to distort, in order to present you with a mental image. And then what happens is, is we live inside that mental image. We don't really live inside the physical world like we think we do. We live inside our mental perception or map of that. And so in The Invisible Gorilla, they show lots of things where you're not expecting, the brain is not expecting to see something. And so they'll throw something in there and your brain will so, uh, will just completely delete it until you know that it's there. And then when you can rewind the video and watch it again and you'll see the parts that were deleted out by your brain because your brain knows to look for it and to pay attention to it. So the reality is, is that you and I live in what we pay attention to. So think about this like the law of attraction. We, we have a tendency in spiritual circles to talk about the law of attraction from the standpoint of we're giving off a vibration in order to attract certain outcomes to us. We have a tendency to view ourselves as the center, if you will, and we're working from the center in order to hopefully do something in our minds and in our emotions. Neville Goddard wrote the book, The Feeling is the Secret. Uh, Greg Braden has done a lot of stuff on uh, feeling the outcome. And as we do that, we send out a vibration that we are trying to be the attractor. We're trying to pull something into our reality. But the truth is that the reverse is also true, or the reverse side or the other side of the coin of the law of attraction is, is that we have a tendency to be attracted to the outcomes that we're trying to pull, or we have the tendency to be attracted to certain things based on, totally based on, really the mental programming that we have. So here's what I mean by this. Let's take two people that are working with the law of attraction because this ties into know thyself. If you're trying to get an answer to prayer, if you're trying to believe for something, if you're trying to attract something into your life, have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is it in me that is focusing on that specific outcome as opposed to any of the other outcomes that I might be able to produce in my life? And what you'll discover is that the law of attraction is every bit as much, as much as it might be about attracting 
circumstances into your life, it's every bit as much about what are you attracted to. So let's just take money, for example. You have people that are attracted to an increase in their income. They're attracted to wealth. They're attracted to material possessions. And so they'll spend a lot of their time trying to manifest the new car, the new house, the new job, the higher income, uh, whatever those things may be. But then you also have people in our society more and more who are minimalists. These are people who are not trying to attract more. These are people who are trying to scale down. These are people who are trying to get rid of things and live a simpler, less expensive lifestyle. So on the one hand, you have the person who's attracted to increase. And on the other hand, you have people that are attracted to the minimalist who are attracted to decrease. So then you have to ask yourself the question, what is it in the person? What's the difference inside the person that attracts one person to wealth while the other person is attracted to the minimalist lifestyle? So see, they're working the law of attraction, trying to attract to themselves, trying to create for themselves based on what they themselves are attracted to. And so a lot of knowing thyself is knowing what is it about you that attracts you. If you're attracted to wealth, why are you attracted to wealth? What is it inside of you? What is it about you that makes up the components and the building blocks of your character, yourself, and your consciousness that attracts you to more? Or what is it about you that attracts you to less? And what are the differences there? And all, a lot of that stuff is going on subconsciously. It's going on at the subconscious level. So let's talk about the subconscious because so far all I've talked about is external input. So when your brain is sorting for those five to nine pieces of information that you are literally paying attention to, it is because you've been conditioned or have preferences or values that cause you to block things out. Think about it. On the physical, on the realm of the physical senses, you're blocking out the vast majority of what's there in order to focus on a very small percentage of what is there. So we get caught in the trap of focusing on what we're seeing and don't even think about what we're not seeing. Or we get focused on what we're experiencing and don't even think about what we're not experiencing. We foreground certain things and ignore everything that's in the background. And just like in the physical, if you shift the focus of your eyes, like when I'm looking here, I'm foregrounding on myself and um, doing the Facebook Live and my phone. Uh, but if I want to, I can put that in the background where that becomes blurry. I can look over here and I can focus on the microwave oven that's over there because now I'm foregrounding that to the exclusion of the phone. When I'm looking at the phone, I'm foregrounding this to the exclusion of the microwave. When I shift to the microwave, I'm foregrounding the microwave and my experience to the exclusion of this. See, it all dictates our experience. What we foreground, what we background, what we pay attention to, what we don't pay attention to, what we focus on and what we don't focus on, what we experience and what we don't experience and how we shift and move uh, through our life determines the quality of our experience what we can have and what we can't have, what we can know or what we do know and what we don't know. So that's just the external world. But here's the truth of the matter. There is so much more that the same exact principle works 
in your interior life works on things that are going on inside of you, the sensory input that's going on inside of you. For example, you and I, uh, neuroscientists, you know, have proven this as well. You and I are always dreaming. We are always dreaming, not just when we go to sleep. In other words, there is a constant flow of images coming up and being presented to us from different aspects of our consciousness. And while we're in waking state, we tend to be more verbal. We tend to be more language oriented. So we block those images. Not only do we block those images, but we are trained to block those images. For example, Johnny goes to school. I know I was this way. School's changed a lot. The way they teach kids now is totally different than the way they taught kids when I was in school. But when I was in school, maybe some of you can relate to this, the vast majority of learning happened on a verbal level. Uh, reading books and listening to lectures. I know in colleges, uh, there's still a lot of that that goes on. And even, even uh, where they've, they've adapted the educational system for more participation with the students, it's still mostly discussion. Class participation is based on what you're saying, what you're hearing, what you're collectively sharing. So you're still focusing on that verbal side of life, which is a very small portion of what's going on inside of you. A lot of people, when they start to meditate, they can't stop the chatter that's going on in their brains. Um, like if, It's amazing when you start to meditate, if you're early on at meditation, how difficult it is to keep a focus when you close your eyes and you shut out. So meditation, the foundation of all meditation is to get in touch with all this stuff that's going on inside of you. It's a whole purpose for it by blocking out what's going on outside of you. So wearing comfortable clothing, not something that's too restrictive, getting in a quiet place, maybe putting some music on so that you shut out any other sounds and you can focus on just one sound coming in so that your mind doesn't have to edit everything else out. Uh, focusing on your breathing, shutting your eyes. Basically what you're doing is you're shutting down your physical senses. Uh, I see Victoria says, I always fall asleep. One of the things, I wonder, Victoria, if this happens for you, I know a lot of people will experience this, when you're in that state of meditation between being awake and falling asleep, you'll notice, uh, or a lot of people will, that you start getting strange images that start coming up. Weird sort of nonsensical, chaotic images that start floating into the mind that are called hypnagogic imagery. And that can be distracting for people as well. If they can shut down the mental chatter and not listen to the chatterbox in their own head, oftentimes what happens is all these hypnagogic images start coming up. And that can be a real block for people, especially people that are trying to get into astral projection or um, take shamanic journeys or inward journeys or uh, even guided meditations that guide you through something. But usually in that, that sort of bridge state between being awake and being asleep, these hypnagogic images start coming up. It's because the truth is those images are always coming up. Now, if you were a daydreamer in school, now watch how this works. If you were a daydreamer in school, which I was, or let's say little Johnny goes, and let's say typical sort of verbal type of teaching and lecturing and drawing on the board, 
whatever's going on out here and you start daydreaming, your mind wanders. Where does your mind wander off to? Your mind wanders off to all the stuff that's going on inside of you. All the imagery, all the unfulfilled wishes and desires, whatever the case may be. And what happens in school? What are you told? Uh, stop doing that. Stop paying attention to your dreams, your desires, your unfulfilled, uh, you, the imagery that's going on inside your head, paying attention to your inner world, being lost in thought, and pay attention out here. So here's how we're literally being trained. We're literally being trained throughout our lives in this world to focus on the world out here, and there's value judgments that are put on daydreams that are put on exploring and experiencing the inward self. So we're literally literally trained and conditioned to shut that stuff off. And the more you shut that stuff off, the harder it is for you to imagine. So someone will say, close your eyes and imagine a scene, and you're like, I just see the black uh, screen in front of my eyes where I've closed my eyes. I just see black. Uh, just see the back of my eyelids. Um, I have a hard time imagining things. Many of us don't remember our dreams, and yet science proves that we dream every night. So people say, I don't dream. It's not true. The, the truth is you do dream. We all dream every night. But we have been so trained and so conditioned to shut those things off so that our culture and our society does not place value on the intuitive ways of knowing. And by the intuitive ways of knowing, I mean the use of the imagination. We have a tendency to believe that the imagination is something that takes us away from reality rather than something that can lead us into transcendental reality or other realities that are beyond the physical dimension. Does, it, does that make sense to you? So intuitive ways of knowing, the gut feeling that you have, um, a hunch that you have, a thought that you have, uh, an idea that you have, these sort of intuitive things, imagery or visions that come to you and pop up in your mind, uh, dreams that you have at night. We're taught to ignore these things. As a matter of fact, um, the same guys who did The Invisible Gorilla did a whole, and these were like, I think, three different uh, psychologists, PhD-level psychologists that were doing research, and they wanted to do research in the arena of intuition. So I want to talk to some of you that are intuitives for a little bit, some of you that are um, psychic or intuitive or empaths. Uh, so the Invisible Gorilla researchers did a lot of research into intuition uh, by just taking the average person and having them, uh, one of the experiments that they did was, have you ever had that sense that somebody's watching you? Have you ever had that sense that someone was behind you and you didn't see them, but you just sensed their presence and you turned around? So they did a lot of experimentation with that where they blindfolded the person and they would have someone enter the room or not enter the room. And they would create this sort of binary experiment where the person would have to try to depend on their hunches or their intuition. And let's say they would be asked the question, let's say 10 times. I don't remember the exact design of the research. But let's say 10 times they were asked, is there someone in the room? And the answers, statistically, by far, 
proved that it was just random. It was just like, uh, like let's say you were going to play the stock market and you took the, uh, let's just take the S&P 500, the top 500, the, the Fortune 500 companies that are in the stock market, and you put all the names on a wall and you close your eyes and you just threw a dart, and whatever that one landed on, that would be the one you would invest in. So it was that kind of randomness. And so they concluded from their studies that intuition is extremely unreliable. And they did, design, did these designs and proved it over and over and over. There were other researchers who have done the same thing, that have proven that intuition is extremely unreliable. It's one of the reasons that in science, um, in empirical science, uh, they want to be driven by empirical data because in science, take something uh, where you want to study the material world, what they discovered was that hunches, intuition, confirmation biases, all that stuff would distort reality. Because again, remember, all of us do this. Our mind uh, deletes, um, generalizes, and distorts in order for us to be able to make a model of our experience so that we can navigate through it. And we like simple. So the simpler the model, the easier it is for us, the more comfortable it is for us, and so on. So that's kind of where we're at in our society is there's a real discounting of intuitive faculties and intuitive abilities, and so we're taught to shut those things off. Now, other people don't shut those things off, and we call those people gifted. So uh, we have a tendency to look at the intuitive ways of knowing, capacities that we all have as human beings, potential that we all have as human beings, um, and maybe I should say this, on the flip side of this, on the flip side of those scientific studies that I was just quoting to you, there is a whole other genre of studies performed by equally as educated, equally as smart people on psychic phenomena, things like remote viewing, uh, all kinds of different consciousness studies that validate the reality of intuition, that validate uh, psychic phenomena. One that I can think of is uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who was one of the Apollo astronauts. When he was on one of his flights, I forget which one it was. <clears throat> I want to say it was Apollo 11, but I could be wrong. <clears throat> but he, he's, they're coming around uh, leaving the moon, and he, he makes the comment that as they're leaving the moon, you can see because there's no light pollution, and you're not on the Earth grid, which I think is, is interesting. Um, you're not in that floating mass of thoughts and beliefs and maxims and things that are that are in the earth that are real thought currents. So you're off the earth grid, and as he's looking at the stars, he has this amazing mystical transcendental experience of oneness and bliss and ecstasy that so transformed his life that he, in 1971 he formed the Institute of Noetic Sciences to begin to discover uh, study. States of consciousness, states of mind, meditation, psychic phenomena, things like that. And they write peer-reviewed research papers and stuff like that. Charles Tart is another one that I mentioned, who's a Ph.D. level uh, uh, scientist who's doing studies in those in that arena. There's another guy in Stanford right now. I can't think of his name. Uh, I saw his videos, and I haven't been able to remember his name, so I haven't been able to find him again. But he uh, he is a chair of the neuroscience department at Stanford currently, and his work at Stanford is involved in studying um, 
paranormal uh, or consciousness or uh, psychic phenomena. I could go on and on. There's others out there. So how do we how do we deal with this discrepancy? On the one hand, you've got scientists and psychologists who are completely disproving the efficacy and reliability of intuition. And on the other hand, you have groups of scientists that are saying, no, there's something to this. There's something here. And here's what I'd like to suggest to you. I would like to suggest that they're both right, that it is possible for them to both be right at the same time. And I want to suggest that perhaps the reason that they are both right, as a rule, the studies that I've looked at that validate intuition and psychic phenomena and uh, paranormal phenomena are performed on people who have been trained and developed in it. People like Tibetan Buddhist monks, people like uh, the monks over on Mount Athos in Greece, which is a Christian monastery in the Greek Orthodox Church, people from shamanic traditions, where they're taken at a very young age, their their gift is recognized. I keep doing that in quotes. I'll tell you why in a minute. And they're developed over a lifetime in this. In the Western world, and almost all of us fit into this category, we are not only not developed in intuition and psychic phenomena and that kind of stuff, we are taught to shut it down. We are taught not to believe in it. We are taught not to trust it. We are taught not to pay attention to our internal world, but to pay attention to our external world. We are taught to think of terms and cause and effect out here, never think about cause and effect in here. What would happen then, let's say, if there were schools that spent just as much time developing the intuitive ways of knowing as we are developed in the external ways of knowing. Uh, in other words, uh, people that are excellent scientists or excellent in whatever field it is that they've chosen, they had to train and develop themselves. They had to train and develop what was within them mentally and intellectually by studying and devoting themselves to a body of knowledge in order to bring out of them the potential to manifest their intelligence and apply it to their field. What would happen if we had schools that taught and trained and developed the intuitive ways of knowing so that we could manifest those things. And and people gave their life, spent a, a lifetime doing that. Now, at the risk of hurting some people's feelings and offending some people, I can honestly say the number of people who are truly developed psychics that I've met, I can count on one hand. Most people that are psychic, I don't want to say they're not psychic, but unfortunately, they appear to be gifted. They appear to just have a gift. And that's how we think about psychic phenomenons. That's how we think about these things. Oh, so-and-so just has a gift. Um, this person was able to tell me what was going on in my life without me ever talking to them. Oh, I've always been able to do that. Uh, this person sees spirits. Oh, I've been able to do that since I was a child. Uh, another person dreams about certain events occasionally, and then those events happen and take place, so they're able to foretell the future, and we say those people are gifted. What I'd like to suggest is that we're all gifted. We all have the same abilities, but that certain people have been able to get through life without shutting them off, whereas other people had those and 
perhaps totally, excuse me, perhaps totally turned them off. Now, I'm not denying that there are levels of gifting, just like, uh, so let's look at it this way, football, right? So there's levels of athletic ability and athletic gifting. Now, I can run, I can block, I can tackle, I can throw a football, and I can catch a football. But I do not have the level of talent as the people playing in the NFL. I don't have the level of talent as the people playing in college. I didn't even have the level of talent to play as well as people that were starting on my high school football team. But I had the ability. But I I can run, but I couldn't run as fast as the next guy. So therefore, I did not develop what I had either. Now, I want you to think about this. Nobody playing on Sunday in the NFL is there because they're gifted. Nobody's there because they're gifted. Yes, they're gifted, but it's not just their gift alone. They have to spend and devote themselves to years of developing and working on and building and sharpening their skills in order to bring out the fullness of the gift that was there. So when I say I can think of about maybe three psychic people or really spiritually gifted people, maybe three or four, if I include Christians that don't know they're psychically gifted, they think it's all gifts of the Spirit, maybe five or six people that I can think of that were really effective and highly developed. Now, if you have those giftings and those abilities... You're not being developed isn't necessarily your fault because where do you go to develop that? A book? Uh, maybe if you're lucky, you get into a, a mystery school or some kind of a, a, someone with a lineage, a lineage holder trains and develops you. You have teachers or you have mentors that are further along than you. But I just want to encourage you, if, if you're psychic or intuitive, don't, don't just depend on that. Because the truth is, until you're highly developed, your intuition may be more accurate than most, but it can also very much mislead you at times. And if you don't have the humility to recognize that and understand that, you're going to end up in a mess as well. Um, so my point is that we block all that stuff out. We don't honor it. We don't honor the dream. We don't honor the intuition. We block a lot of that stuff out. If we're not blocking it out, then we're not developing it. So one of the things, you know, like like we we all did this as kids. So one of the things that I've noticed with my boys is that both of them have very keen intuitions and have been given to, you know, when you're young, you're still pretending, you're still daydreaming, and you're not, you haven't turned those things off yet. And so I've tried to work really hard to encourage that, nurture that in my boys so that they don't turn that off. So, I mean, just to give you some examples, uh, you know, with both my kids, I remember one time, one of my sons, uh, there was no rain in the forecast, perfectly sunny day. I think my son was three years old. We had plans for the afternoon, and he said, we're not going to be able to do our plans this afternoon. The birds told me that it was going to rain. And sure enough, when it came time for us to do our plans, the clouds moved in. Of course, you know, if you're from Colorado, how quickly the weather can change. The clouds moved in, and it rained even though it wasn't in the forecast. The birds told him. Now, one parent would look at that and say, oh, isn't that cute? He thinks the birds are talking to him. 
And I would look at that and constantly remind him and try to validate that. Both my boys have seen angels and experienced them. Uh, one of my sons has seen Jesus a couple of different times and experienced him in very powerful ways. Uh, one of my sons can remember a past life in quite some detail. Um, I remember Elijah went outside one night and came, just started screaming bloody murder and comes running in because he saw what was probably a ghost, uh, a little girl that was sort of taunting him, and he was scared to death. Now, in order to comfort your child, one approach in parenting would be, oh, son, that was just your imagination. It's not real. Come come with me. Let's go look. See, there's nothing out here. But I didn't want to shut that off. So instead, I tried to educate him differently and say, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you believed it. I'm sure it was scary. It's a valid experience, but look, she couldn't hurt you. She couldn't harm you. All she could do was scare you. Look, you're fine. You're in one piece. Don't worry about it. So on the one hand, validating, but trying to deal with the fear without shutting off the gifting. So I'm, I'm belaboring this point because I want you to get out of your mind this idea that certain people are more gifted. Well, that they are more gifted, but I want you to get out rid of this idea that intuitive psychic phenomena is something that is not as normal to most human beings. Now, I realize there are some watching me that have had, you know, physical challenges and you're not able to walk or whatever, but the norm is if, if you know, if the damage hadn't occurred in your body, your brain, your spinal cord, whatever, you would still be able to do that. So everybody has access to the this realm of knowledge. Everybody has access to being led by the spirit. Everybody has access to psychic phenomena. Everybody has access to intuition. Everybody's psychic. Everybody's intuitive. The problem is that some of us have been malformed. Some of us have shut it off. Uh, there really isn't a lot that we can do in our culture right now anyway. Places we can go like schools. That's what I mean. Like a school where you can really get highly developed, trained by someone who's highly developed. And that's one of the problems too. You know these people who are really highly developed, but they can't teach it. So even though they're highly developed, they can't teach it. So how do you how do you impart it? How do you help develop that? So that's one of the things that I, I think uh, I'm belaboring this point because in order to operate, here's one of the things: in order to develop and operate at a high level or at an effective level of intuition, of being led by the spirit, of paying attention to emotions and feelings and gut feelings and dreams and visions and things like that. You have to know yourself. You have to know yourself. I'm going to give you a perfect example. Let's talk about the gift of discernment, how it operates uh, if you're from the church. It's the, just the gift of discernment. Other people, it's their intuition. They get an intuition about a person. They get a feeling about a person. They meet somebody, and when they meet them, <clears throat> they see uh, darkness over them. When they meet them, they get a repulsion on the inside in their gut. They tighten up and tense up, and they don't shut that stuff off. They pay attention to that stuff. They're more awake in that sense. And so they get a discernment about that person. Oh, there's something dark about that person. There's something wrong with that person. I need to stay away from that person. Now, here's the, here's, here's the reality. Is that your intuition? Or is that a subconscious projection based on a similarity that that person has to someone that you experienced 
in your past. Maybe they have the same name as someone who bullied you in school that you have forgotten about. And when you hear that name, you get that, that younger you that was bullied has that response or that reaction. Maybe they have a facial feature that is similar in some way to someone that you had a bad experience with along the way, someone who abused you, someone who you didn't like, someone you had a bad experience with along the way. And your mind picks this up because here's how your brain works. You have this, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the brain. I, I'm, I'm so bad at this. Uh, ugh. Anyway, you have this little uh, almond-shaped part of your brain that is responsible for your safety. And its whole job is to scan the environment and compare with your subconscious memory situations where you were hurt, situations where you were traumatized, and its whole job is scanning the environment looking for danger. Now, that part of the brain does not communicate with the frontal lobe or the language part of the brain or the self-conscious part of the brain. It doesn't. It just gives you feeling. It releases hormones. It gives you feelings or sensations in your body. Or for some people, they might project. They might sense that and then project. Amygdala, thank you. Uh, they might project that onto uh, a, a scene. But that image is coming from within them. It's not around the person. Otherwise, everybody would see it. Is this making sense? So without knowing yourself, without really knowing yourself, without really doing your work of knowing yourself and of inner healing and of knowing your own prejudices, knowing your shadow side, knowing your evil that's inside of you as well as the good that's inside of you, it really is difficult to discern whether or not your discernment or intuition about that person is coming as real intuition from spirit or is it coming from the operations and the functions of your brain that we all possess. Without knowing yourself and really doing your work and really knowing how to develop and sharpen that skill, you won't know the difference. And most people, because we live in that microwave society, they want to jump immediately to, oh, that's my intuition. Oh, I have a sense about this. I get a sense about this. And here's the other thing. You will delete all the times you were wrong. Your ego will delete all the times you were wrong. Just like when I'm focusing on this, I'm deleting the microwave. When I focus on the microwave, I'm deleting the phone. Our egos will delete all the experiences where we were wrong with our intuition if we believe and are too caught up in our own PR and will only focus on the times that we were right in the present when we get a feeling, when we get an intuition, when we get a sense about something. And if we turn out to be wrong about that one, we'll delete that as well. It, ju it just literally almost goes into the garbage bin because we have a sense of self, a self-consciousness that says, no, I'm psychic, no, I'm intuitive. But I haven't really done my work. I, I don't really know myself in all ways and all things. And so that's one of the reasons that people that I've known who were extremely spiritually gifted ended up in the situation that they were because they focused so much on their successes. They focused so much on the development. It's necessary to focus on your successes. Don't get me wrong. It's necessary to have the belief and the faith that you're psychic and that you're intuitive. I want to encourage all that. I just want to make you aware that it's not as simple to become highly skillful and highly developed as maybe we think it is. And if you are a psychic, if you are an intuitive, if you have these kind of experiences, I'm really talking to you 
because we need you to not just rest on your gifting like it's a gifting. The rest of us need you to do some things to sharpen your skills, to hone your skills, to do your shadow work, to do your inner healing, to know yourself, to find balance within yourself, to find self-control so that you don't get emotionally triggered and just go off the handle because you're such an empath or you can't be around people because, oh my God, all the energy from everybody is just so overwhelming. Um, come on, man. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's get over that stuff. And please, I'm pleading with you to understand that you can become so much better than you are. You can become so much more accurate than you are. You can be, become so, such a greater gifting to humanity and a greater blessing to your family and the people around you by developing what's inside of you. But you cannot develop what's inside of you if you deny you, the, the human side of you and don't do your work and don't know yourself so that the awakening that happens is is that and, and then this is where a lot of us are at I've got to know myself I've got to know why am I attracted to certain things and not attracted to other things what's going on inside of me that I'm shutting down and shutting off what's inside of me that I'm afraid to look at or I'm afraid to examine those of you that read tarot cards if you look at the moon card and the rider weight, the moon card, the moon is the realm that governs psychic uh, stuff, really basically the subconscious. The, you think about the moon being responsible for the um, waves uh, in the ocean, the tidal waves and, and uh, the tides, not tidal waves, the tides, that kind of thing. But it also governs the tides of your psychic self, of your psychological Self. And so if you look at the moon card, you've got two wolves that are unrestrained. And those two wolves represent passions that are unrestrained. Because in the moon, there's no self-consciousness. It's just all down there. And then you have this uh, like crab that's crawling up out of the water, which represents primal fears that we all have in the depth of our collective unconsciousness. And it's all the stuff that we shut off that we don't want to see. And so the moon card is showing, is, is shining light, light on all that stuff that's there that you don't want to deal with or you don't want to, want to see. And so it governs illusions and it governs deceptions and self-deceptions and things like that. And without doing our work, we don't become, uh, what we could become. You get it? Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm bringing bad news here. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that, that uh, sometimes I, I, I feel like my job is to accurately diagnose some things. So let's get on to the path of what, what do we do? What do we do and how do we develop? One of the things that I would encourage you to do, but I would encourage you to do it slowly, is to begin to really, really start paying attention to the flow of images, to what are you cutting off? What is the flow of images that's inside of you? What are the emotions or the feelings or the sensations that you are not paying attention to? Both outwardly, what are you not paying attention to? What are the patterns in your life? What are the attractors in your life? What are the habits? If you have a habit, it's an attraction issue. You are attracted to the same thing, the same behavior, the same thought pattern, the same cycle over and over and over again to the exclusion of other things. Let me give you another example of how this messes us up. Uh, personality assessments. Um, now I'm a counselor. Um, I've taken tons of personality assessments. I hate them. I hate taking a personality assessment. I hate answering those questions. I hate them for a lot of reasons. I hate answering the questions and I hate the way it pigeonholes and categorizes people. 
I know a lot of people swear by the Enneagram, and I'm sure I could get to know myself if I did the Enneagram, and I don't mean to, to offend anybody. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I know nothing about the Enneagram. People told me, you gotta do the Enneagram, you gotta do the Enneagram. I haven't done it because of my aversion to that kind of thing. And I'll, and, and I'll tell you why. Let's just take the Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs is probably the most popular personality test that there is. Uh, I can take the Myers-Briggs and come up with a different personality, answering honestly, almost every time I take it, because it depends on the mood that I'm in, or the state that I'm in when I take it. So one of the, one of the typical categories of Myers-Briggs is you're either an introvert or you're an extrovert. You're either internally, uh, oriented, inwardly oriented, or you're externally oriented. And so one of the questions might go something like this. Would you rather stay home? I'm making it binary. The test, those of you know it isn't binary, but would you rather stay home and read a book? Or go to a party with your friends. And then they'll be like, always, sometimes, never, you know, whatever. And you answer it based on a scale on a spectrum. i got to be honest with you. There are times and seasons and days and nights that I would rather stay home and read a book. And when I answer the question, when I show up and as an introvert, and I answer the question, I put, oh, yeah, I'd much rather stay home and read a book. But what I'm doing is I'm foregrounding the times in my life and making them more important in that moment when I would rather read a book and I am editing or deleting or forgetting about the times in my life that I would really rather go out to a party. Other times when I take it, I'm in a different mood and I think, man, yeah, I really, I want to be around people. I get energized when I'm around people. I want to go to a party. And then other times, and, and so when I'm answering that question, I'm thinking about those times and forgetting about the times I wanted to go home and read a book, so I answer it differently. So the truth is that most of us are like that, but we have a tendency to stick with a pattern. We have a tendency to be trained to stick with a pattern. We have a tendency to ignore the other side of ourself. And so that's what this whole maxim of know thyself is. Getting to know all the various dimensions of yourself, all the various aspects of yourself, so that you can genuinely answer the question, what is it that's going to make me happy? What is the life that I want to manifest or that I want to create? So you can't use the law of attraction and make it any good for you at all if you only look at the law of attraction as attracting something to you and you never examine the side to it that says, I'm attracted to something else. Now, here's the other thing I want to talk. I want to talk about images, and this is where I'm going to leave off, because this is another problem that I see. <clears throat> uh, we have a tendency to cut off from that part of ourselves, the image-making part of ourselves. We could call it the right side of the brain. So the left side of the brain is logic, language, linear, things like that. The right side of the brain is more global, has to do with imagination, emotions, things like that. So we tend to be oriented towards one or the other. 
<clears throat> in our society, most of us are more oriented towards the left side, the logic, linear, language side of the brain. So that brain thinks in a certain way. The right side of the brain with images, also, the language of the right side of the brain, let's do it this way. The language of the left side of the brain is verbal. It's talking. The language of the right side of the brain is imagery and symbol and imagination. And it is a language. It is a language. It is communicating something, but it is communicating in symbolic form. If you take the image and you immediately translate it to the language linear logical side, you will not correctly interpret the language of your own symbolism or the language of your own dreams. So one of the things you can do is just begin to start paying attention to yourself, paying attention to what's going on inside and be patient with yourself and give yourself time. <clears throat> Instead of trying to understand the image in a logical way and connect it to something in your life, feel the image. Stay in that right side of the, the brain. When an image is presented to you, what's the feeling? If you had a vivid dream and you can remember, write down the imagery, but don't forget to write down the feeling. What's the feeling that goes with the dream? What's the feeling? Those of you that have a hard time remembering your dreams, it's because you wake up and immediately you're on the left side of your brain. You say, so I don't dream. So what I would challenge you to do is wake up and before you get up out of bed, take yourself out of the left side of your brain and feel. Get into your body and feel and say, I want to feel remember the dream. I don't want to language logic remember the dream. I want to feel the dream. What was the feeling of the dream? And allow images to resurface and you'll begin to get bits and pieces of what you dreamt about. If you can write, then, then translate it to the left side of your brain by writing down the, the images and the feelings that you had, even if it's only one or two or three, you do that every morning, what you're going to do is create a rapport and a connection between the language side of your brain and the image side of your brain. And believe it or not, you'll start to dream more vividly. You'll start to remember your dreams. And if you do it long enough, you'll start to lucid dream where you can become conscious in the middle of your dream and, and have, do all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> um, but I'm telling you to do this cautiously because for a lot of us, we've repressed emotions. We've repressed memories. We've repressed traumatic events. We've repressed sides of ourselves that we don't want to see. And when you start allowing yourself to pay attention, some of that repressed content will start to come to the surface and you don't want it to overwhelm you. Now, I believe, and I know there's, I'm probably wrong, but one of my presuppositions with myself at least, is that if repressed material, hurt feelings, anger, uh, traumatic memories, whatever, whatever I've repressed, if that material starts to come to the surface, then I'm a firm believer that I'm ready to see it and ready to deal with it. There have been times that that came up so strongly that I did have to go to a therapist, that I did have to go to someone to get healing and to talk about that stuff. Um so just be aware that that is also another aspect of this, and it's one of the reasons that we keep ourselves shut off. But if you're going to dive into this and you're going to know yourself and you're going to heal, then that stuff has to come to the surface as well. But just be aware, just like you need to go to the doctor sometimes because you can't diagnose or prescribe for yourself, that just take away the stigma of counseling or psychotherapy or, or whatever, 
um, but find someone that you can talk to and process with. Just be be selective. That's one area I'd say follow your intuition and trust that the the universe or God will bring the right person to you. Maybe it's not a therapist, but maybe it's somebody that's older and more seasoned. Maybe it's a friend, but somebody that can help you through some of those times. Um, so I don't know, you know, I wish I could give you a quick formula, but I just want to help some of you to relax and enjoy the journey and get to know yourself. One of the reasons, and one of the things that I'm, I want to do, uh, one of the reasons for meditation is it begins to shut this stuff out and begins to help you pay attention to this stuff. And so I am working on, I know I keep promising it, but it's taking me longer than I want it to because I'm so busy right now with all the stuff going on in my life. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but I want to produce some content on meditation, but I want to do it in a really good way. So it'll be a while yet before I have that out. And then for me, I really got interested in tarot, not tarot reading. And I want to show you how left brain we are. Because tarot is a language. And, a, and particularly the major arcana is a spiritual path. <clears throat> the whole of the tarot can be a spiritual path and a pathway to development and a pathway to getting to know the right side of your brain because it speaks entirely in the language of symbol. And so one of the best things, ways to develop and benefit out of tarot is to gaze at the card and notice what you feel and notice what images and what thoughts are invoked from within by gazing at the card. We short-circuit our development if we look at the card and we immediately run to the book, which is going to the left side of the brain. So we look at the card for a second, then we run to the book to tell us what does this card mean. We're missing the beauty and the treasure that tarot can do for us or that tarot can unlock. And we're so trained, we're so trained in the logical, linear language side of life that tarot and reading go hand in hand, tarot readers. Most people don't even know that there's a spiritual path that can open up or ways that the tarot cards can connect you with subconscious realities and superconscious realities through the imagery, through the feeling, and through meditating and looking at them. Uh, most people don't even know that. They only think of it as something that a reader does, or I'm only going to get cards if I'm going to read them. The moment you say read them, you've gone to the language uh, linear, logical side. You've, you've, you've vacated the right side of the brain, if you will, and you've gone to the left side because that's where you're more comfortable. That's where you're more developed. I am very left-handed. I could develop more fine motor dexterity in my right hand if I wanted to by practicing. Uh, it used to be if you were left-handed, they would make you write with your right hand. So even though a person's dominant hand was their left hand, they could still learn to write and have good penmanship with their right hand, but it's more awkward, it's more difficult, it's more frustrating, it's more time-consuming. Well, so I, I just use my left hand for almost everything. And my, my right hand, then therefore, the dexterity in it is very undeveloped. We have a tendency to do the same thing. So when you're dealing with the imagery side, when you're dealing with the symbolic side of yourself, we have a tendency to want to go immediately to what we're comfortable with. Just like if I was trying to write with my right hand, I would immediately give up, pick up the pencil with my left hand and start writing with my left hand. We have a tendency to do that. Same thing with dreams. We have a tendency to think that everything about a dream is the message that's in the dream. 
The me- what's the message in the dream? The moment you do that, you move to the left side. So what is the dream? What is the feeling of the dream? What was the experience of the dream? What was the basis of the dream? And eventually, if you'll do this, you'll begin to learn the symbolic language. You'll begin to see patterns and begin to learn your own symbolic language. Dream dictionaries can help, but just understand that symbols can mean different things to different people, and your symbols are uniquely yours. So I'm going to talk about two more things, and I'm going to be done. In the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts, the charismata. It's too bad we translate it as gift. I don't want to get into all that. But it says the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts as he wills, or according to his will. That's how it's translated in almost every Bible. Lenski, there's a guy named Lenski, I can't remember his first initials, but he wrote a commentary, and he was a recognized authority in the ancient Greek language and the Greek texts, recognized for his translations. And he says that that verse would better be translated, the Holy Spirit works with our, or works with the person according to the person's will and temperament. That the Holy Spirit gives and works with the person according to the person's will and temperament. So in other words, it's a very individual thing. What uh, pumpkin pie might mean to you in a dream may be totally, something totally different than what pumpkin pie means to me. <clears throat> the serpent in the Bible can be a picture of the tempter in the garden, can be a picture of the devil. Jesus said, I give you power to trample upon serpents and scorpions but then turns right around in the same discourse and says, go out and be wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove. John says, as the serpent was raised on the pole, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So does the serpent represent Jesus, or does the serpent represent the devil? It depends. So so getting your dream dictionary can help begin to open your thinking about the symbolic language. You can begin to learn a symbolic language in a very general way, and then begin to learn the more specifics about your own symbolic language as you work with and as you develop this stuff. But it starts with paying attention, paying attention to what you're not paying attention to, paying attention to what uh, uh, is going on inside of you, noticing how you delete and generalize and distort, knowing yourself, knowing your own ways. If the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to the person, their temperament and their will and how they're built. You will never be able to know the voice of the Holy Spirit if you don't know thyself, if you don't know how you're built. Now, I want to say this about dreams and prophetic dreams in particular. And I know so many people that think if they have a dream, it's a message. If they have a dream that sticks with them, if they have a dream that they can't get over or let go of, it's a message usually from God. A lot of people have prophetic dreams. There's a guy on the Internet, he's just blown up all over the place because he dreamt about riots and whatever, and he dreamt about you know different things with the election, and he dreamt about the economy, all this stuff back in June or July. And he said, see, uh, this is what God's saying. And then some of it comes to pass. Well, see, if it came to pass, then it has to be a message from the divine. I want to I present something else. Certainly, there are messages in almost every dream because it's – Get coming to you in the language of symbol. Sometimes it's probably just clearing out the clutter of your day. Sometimes it's just working out issues. The Hebrew word for dream means to restore to health, not to receive a message. 
The Hebrew word for dream means to restore to health, not to receive a message. So don't automatically assume that every dream is there for you to know something or to have a message. Because, again, language, message, what's it saying to me? I'm writing with my left hand when I think like that. So your dream can come from your own subconscious self. Your dream can come from the divine. Or your dream can come from the thought currents, the floating maxims and emotional energies and ideas and thoughts that are present in the group consensus, particularly if you're plugged into that group by group trance or group thought. So, so many people I knew that believed in Bible prophecy, Jesus is coming back, had dreams that went along with Bible prophecy, that had dreams that went along with the second coming of Jesus. But Jesus still hasn't come back. The Antichrist still hasn't shown up. And I've watched this pattern for 30 years. So be aware, just because you have a dream does not mean that it's a message from God. I don't care how prophetic or psychic you think you are. Sometimes you're just picking up on the energy of the thought currents that are floating around in humanity, particularly at a high time. So someone who dreamt about the fall in May or June, think about May or June. Think about the shutdowns. Think about the uncertainty with COVID. Think about the financial tra- uh, pressure. Think about the all the emotional, high emotional stuff that's going on collectively in our society. Think about the upcoming election. Highly emotionally charged. All that stuff then is floating in the collective consciousness and you have access to that when you're dreaming as well. And so some of what you pick up when you're dreaming are just the thought currents. So here's my advice on that. If you know that you are in a highly emotionally charged time where there's a lot of energy, a lot of people working the same law of attraction, and you have a dream that relates to those circumstances that are already present, I would be very skeptical of saying that that dream came from God. I wouldn't automatically dismiss it, but I would sit with it for a while and I, because I would assume it's coming from the currents. Now, if you dreamt about all this last August and couldn't shake it, and you dreamt about a pandemic and all that stuff, and you can't shake it, and you can't shake it, and you can't shake it, then maybe it's a prophetic dream. But for most of us, probably everyone that I'm speaking to, you are. let's don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We don't have the platform of Joseph, who has an audience with Pharaoh. We don't have the platform of a Daniel, who has an audience with Nebuchadnezzar. So more than likely, God is not going to give you a dream that pertains to something that is outside your measure of rule or outside your measure of influence. More than likely, when God's giving you a dream, it's going to be pertain to you. Something else I would be very cautious about. Telling other people, I had a dream about you and trying to give them a message because you had a dream about them. Because very often the people that show up in your dreams are representing an aspect of yourself and the dream is giving it to you. In other words, there's a characteristic or something in you 
that you see in this other person that is being presented in your consciousness in the dream. It's not necessarily a message for that person. Again, that's this language thing. I've got to speak it. I've got to say it. I've got to talk about it because I'm more comfortable writing with my left hand. And that's going to impede your progress. So I hope, I hope I didn't discourage you guys. Um, it, it is a little bit discouraging because I think about where could we be? Where could we be if there were more places that taught people how to develop these things, that helped people to sort through their imagery, that helped people learn their symbolic nature of what's going on inside of them and draw it out, that could help people uh, really refine their discernment and their intuitive skills so that they're not making some of them the mistakes, so that we can get out of the realm of what's really, really, really general and basic in terms of readings and get into something that's a little bit more fine-tuned and accurate with a little bit more expertise. I wish there was somewhere I could point you. I wish I could say I'm the one to do it uh, because I know certainly I'm not at that level either. Um, but I have been doing this for 30 years, so there are some things that I can share. So I'm just trying to share with you some of the things that I found helpful, try to make you aware of some things. So listen, if somebody comes to you and says, that, and they're psychic and they're intuitive, I had a feeling about you, I had a perception about you, I had a dream about you, let them give it to you. Don't automatically discount it, but you are under no obligation to believe or receive it because it came from someone who has psychic abilities. Uh, the old, uh, going back decades probably, when Fox News first came out, their slogan was, we report, you decide. Um, I think they flipped that around now. I think they flipped that on Ted now. But uh, back then it was, we report, you decide. And that's how I would always teach people when we would, t when we would do prophetic teachings or, or uh, that kind of stuff. I would say, your job is to report and let the other person decide what it is that they're going to do with the message. If you are a person who gives messages to people, if you are a psychic, if you are a prophet, please, please do not let your ego get so involved that you feel like you have to impose your message or what you believe the divine is saying or what you believe the cards are saying on to another person. Please don't do that. Please be completely free. This frees you up too because you don't have to be responsible for the outcome. You don't have to be accurate. You don't have to know, oh my God, am I sure? What if I tell this person and it's wrong? Let them decide. Just say, hey, this is what I, what I received and got, uh, for you, this is the message that I got for you. This is what I believe Spirit is saying to you. But you take it, and I'll, you take it. See if it resonates with you. See how it works with you. And if you want to, let me know. Uh, so you do it in a really gracious sort of way, so that the person can. Because otherwise, you'll create a codependency. I know because I did this. You'll create a codependency where every time that person has an issue, they'll come back to you. And if your income is tied to that. Maybe that's what you want. A lot of counselors want to keep you in counseling because their income is tied to you coming. Uh, it's complicated. It's a complex world. All right. Uh, a lot of comments. Um, so hopefully this was helpful uh, for some of you. Hopefully it was encouraging. Um, again, enjoy this inward journey. Don't be in a hurry with it. Get to know yourself. Get to know your preferences. Find out what you like. Find out what you don't like. Find out what your habits and patterns are and what are your habits and patterns showing you about yourself. What is it about certain things that you're attracted to and not attracted to other things? 
Is it because it's coming genuinely from you, or is it because it's how you were trained? Open yourself up to the flow of images. Open yourself up to the feelings. Open yourself up to dreams. Begin to honor that as a way of knowing. But just understand that for some of us, some of us, it's like a baby coming into the world or like a child who's in grade school. So don't try to take on uh, college-level um, jobs, college-level tasks, if you're still in the grade school level. And don't don't feel demeaned or ashamed that you're still in the grade school level. There's nothing wrong with grade school. Hell, how many of us wish we could go back to grade school? I watch my kids and think, damn, I wish I had that to do all over again. I wish I would have enjoyed it and appreciated it at the time. Uh, so in, in the same way, just just be free, man. Be free from the judgment. Be free from the shame. Make this fun. Make this an exploration of yourself. Getting to know yourself. Getting to know what's in your subconscious. And you will see more growth come from that than you will reading the next book that comes out or going to the next seminar or watching the next video. Develop yourself. Get to know yourself. Spend time with yourself. Consult with yourself. Read for yourself. Prophesy for yourself. Discover yourself. You'll benefit so much more. I'm going to say this again because somebody needs to hear it. If you will read yourself, you will grow far more than if you read the next book that just has more information. If you make a, if you attend the workshop of your own dream life and your own inner being in six months, you will grow and expand in your capabilities, in your self-knowledge and in your enrichment in life than if you attend that next six month seminar. Your most faithful guide, your most faithful instructor, the person that knows the most about you is you. The Bible even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What person knows a thing of a person except the spirit of the person that is within them? Nobody can tell you more about yourself than you can. You are the expert on yourself. Your most faithful guide is you. Your most faithful instructor is you. Your most faithful teacher is you. Yes, you'll make mistakes if you follow you. you but, but, but the mistakes are part of the growing process. And at least you're making the mistakes that your soul is telling you to make so that you learn the lessons that you are supposed to learn. If you take someone else's advice, someone else's reading, someone else's word against your own sense of this is what I should do. This is the direction I should go, but everybody's telling me I should go this direction. If you forsake going the way that you sense that you're supposed to go, and you go with what everybody else is telling you to do, you will in fact end up making their mistake and learning their lesson and impeding your growth rather than making your mistake and learning your lesson and growing the way that you need to grow. So get over the self-doubt. Get over the self-doubt. Keep a humble uh, opinion of yourself. Keep a reasonable Assessment of yourself, but trust yourself, believe in yourself, get to know yourself, and look for the guidance that comes from within. Look for the light that is within rather than the light that is without. That's the purpose of this, really, it's to, for you to begin to look to your own intuition, your own dreams, and learn from you, not just from other people. God bless you. Love you. If you're a football fan... The Broncos don't play till tomorrow night, but if you're a football fan, enjoy the day. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year. 
Um, anyway, namaste. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for commenting. Uh, those of you that share, thank you for sharing. Those of you that have given to help uh, support us through this time and keep us going, thank you, thank you, thank you for your financial gifts and contributions. Love you. God bless you. And uh, I'll see you again next time I do a live.